You are listening to the Robert Scott Bell Show. Is there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Is. Uh, this is Robert Scott Bell Show, Advanced Medicine. Uh, we're going to hook up with Dr. Batar momentarily. Uh, we got Super Don in the house, so to speak. And we're going we're, we're to launch into. What do you guys back, Patrick? We got him? Still. Oh, so we got Dr. Batar. Okay. We, you know, I was going to dive into to, to, to some, some other topic that would be so silly by the time you heard it, you wouldn't know what show this is. <laughs> so I saw my voice, Robert. You, you, did, you know, I did last week. I was struggling all week after my road trip with the kids, and so uh, I, I, uh, I just struggled through it. You know, I was gargling lots of silver, taking some beta glucan, doing all the things we know to, to recover. And uh, now my sinuses are clearing up, and I'm feeling a lot better. I exercised yesterday, got it moving, but the voice. The verbascum homeopathic style, I don't know if you have any of that. That could help. I don't have any of that, but, yeah, um, I'm not using any homeopathics right now. I'm just using uh, silver and some herbs. Okay. Well, get it closer to the mic. We'll make it work. I'll, I'll do some extra talking on your behalf. Uh, I remember um, years ago, this was before I knew anything about homeopathy, whatever, one of the first exposures I had outside of my family to uh, cancer, uh, diagnosis and cancer-related deaths, uh, because I had you know many of my family members, my uh, aunts and uncles and grandparents died of cancer-related treatments or things. But even then, I didn't know it was treatment-related. But there was one, my best friend from high school, grade school and high school. His his dad got cancer, and he went to Texas. Some I don't know if it was MD Anderson where he went for treatment, like really good treatment, and they gave him quadruple the dose he was supposed to get of chemo. They destroyed his kidneys, and they killed him. Again, this was years before I knew anything about how dangerous cancer oncologists were. And we have a story today, and I don't know if you've even opened the the news cycle stories for you, but there's this story of a a woman who was overtreated for thyroid cancer to such an extent that she was put away in isolation in a lead-lined room for three days because she was emitting so much radiation. So it reminded me of that overdosing on chemo. They overdose you on anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's pretty that's, that's a really high dose. Yeah, I mean you think about the level of radiation you gotta have where they detect you and it's and you're emitting it so badly that they put you in a lead line room for three days until it dissipates. I mean, you talk about giving somebody cancer. That what what else can you expect by overdosing somebody on radiation? Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like something out of the comic books or something, right? They're trying to turn her into the Incredible Hulk or something. <laughs> the yeah. gamma radiation, yeah. right? Yeah, no. <laughs> Absolutely stunning. Stunning, stunning. Now, here's another question I have related to, to, to cancer. It's a story here about prognosis, not necessarily diagnosis. And you've talked about this, Dr. Batar, a lot of times when doctors are giving people their prognosis and saying you've got X number of weeks or X number of months or X number of years to live. 
Uh, it turns out, uh, uh, I think this is, a, an, is this an AMA study, JAMA, JAMA Oncology was published. They found that 68% of patients rated their odds for survival differently uh, than their doctors. And almost all the patients were more optimistic than their doctor. And, and I thought, well, this is interesting. I mean, you, you, the trend is that the doctors are much more pessimistic, or would they say more realistic? What, uh, From an oncologist's point of view, when they give you a terminal sentence, I can't think optimism is ever in there. No, I think you're right. It's never in there. Um, the, the reason I think that they do that, um, and it's not justifiable, by the way, because I think it's... Um, I think it's probably one of the biggest crimes that doctors commit. But the reason they do that is under the, you know, this brings up the um, issue of what I was brought up on charges of giving false hope. And so, <laughs> yeah. it's, you know, to me, there's no such thing as false hope because that's, that's an oxymoron. If it's false hope, then it's not hope by definition. And so hope, you know, in fact, the president of the American Medical Association, um, at the time that my... Uh, the judgment against me was passed by the North Carolina Medical Board. Um, this is, of course, before we started the real battle. It was um, interesting because that pre- the president, I mean, my charges said bringing false uh, hope or giving false hope to terminal pay- patients, despite the fact we had 47, 48 uh, stage 4 cancer patients that were that all outlived their prognosis by the conventional side. And we had, you know, a few of them that were five to eight years out that actually testified but the president of the AMA, the same week, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And, and he stepped down as the president of the AMA. And in his speech, and in his last speech that he gave as the president of the AMA, he said, I know what the prognosis for pancreatic cancer is. Uh, the two-year survival of pancreatic cancer is 0%, and one-year uh, one survival is 2%. He said, but that one-year survival of 2% is still 2%. And his closing message was that a doctor should never take away hope mm. from their patients. That was his ending message. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, why the hell didn't he say that to the North Carolina Medical Board? Because that's the entire premise behind which they came after me. So this whole con- component of doctors giving a prognosis mm-hmm. that is worse than the patients, to me, is almost as sinful as committing murder. Because... The doctor isn't like a normal person. The patient sees the doctor as an all-knowing uh, individual that has more information, um, you know, some secret uh, source of um, uh, information that's coming in to feed them, whatever you, you know, to put them on a pedestal. Doctors are put on a pedestal. Maybe not as much now, but traditionally, if a doctor says something, patients don't usually argue with it. Now a doctor says, oh, you've got three months to live. First of all, there's no way the doctor knows the patient has five, three months to live. If they're mm-hmm. near to the patient at three months or six months to live, guess what? Their job would not be a doctor. They would be playing the stock market, and living on an island somewhere, enjoying life because they can tell the future. I mean, that stock market can go, only go up, go down, or stay mm-hmm. the same. It's three different positions. They can't tell which way the market's going to go. So now you're telling me that the doctor's going to predict when a person's going to die? It's the most preposterous, the most ludicrous, the most idiotic thing that a doctor can do because they're essentially signing the person's death certificate. And as soon as they say you've got three months to live, the vast majority of people are going to say, oh, my God, I only have three months to live because mm. my doctor said so. And the self-fulfilling prophecy starts to kick in. So it's You're a right. very, very sad day when doctors say that. To me, um, the, the best thing to do is, in fact, I've got a great story. I don't know how much time we have before we get a commercial. 
Oh, yeah, we got plenty. Go go for it. Okay, so um, one of my really, really close friends who um, you just recently talked to, Robert, uh, on the phone, um, Sal, uh, it was very interesting what happened. His mother-in-law had cancer. as She had lung cancer. And she was in her late 70s. Uh, actually, she was actually, I think, early 80s, like 81, 82. And uh, his, his, her mother is a... Um, my friend's wife is a nurse, so she and this is in California. So they took her to every different specialist they could find, and um, they wanted to do uh, a major surgery. Basically, I'm sorry, I said I don't know what I said. Lung cancer is actually esophageal cancer. That's what it is. It was esophageal okay. cancer, and so esophageal cancer to get to the esophagus is a major, major surgery. And so they had met with a number of different doctors, and they were going to decide what they were going to do, and you know, radiation and chemo and surgery, the whole thing. And so the the wife, or the, the, the daughter of um, Sal's, Sal's wife, um, says to her mother, um, which, which decision have you made? And she says, looking at Sal, she says, I want to talk to Rashid before I make any decision. So he called me, and I happened to be um, flying to L.A. for something else anyway uh, in a week or so. So I said, sure, I'll come. And, you know, I've always known her. I always called her mama. So mm-hmm. I came and saw her. And um, just, you know, I mean, it wasn't like a consult or anything. I just came and I was staying at their house anyway. So I just came and I saw her. I, I changed my plan so I'd stay with them. And um, I talked to her and she starts telling me what the doctors had told, told her. So she says, they've given me 42 months to live. 42, that's what she said. Okay. So, um, her, her daughter starts to correct her because what they said is four to six months. But she heard 42 months. Right. It was four to six months, and that's what she says. She goes, "I have forty-six months to live." Cool. That's what she okay. So the daughter, so the daughter starts to correct her, and I said, "No, no, I heard what she said. She's got forty-six months to live." Look, she, I heard her, and you know, I said it so that the daughter understood what I was doing. So I start talking to her, and I told her, "I said, listen, you're eighty-two years old. You've already lived eight years past the average lifespan of a woman, um, and the surgery is going to be so debilitating." And I don't even know whether a person's going to, you know, most people don't even survive that surgery. If they do survive it, they spend the rest of their time in ICU, and then they end up dying four, five, six months later. So I said, since they've given you 46 months to live, my suggestion is do the following. And I told her to take some minerals. I put her on um, some, of our, some of our basic stuff that we just have some supplements. And uh, it was a couple of different types of minerals and an antioxidant. She starts taking it. She lived exactly... 49 months. <laughs> wow. Okay. She lived 49 months. She, she, in fact, after she started on the supplements and stuff, she was walking around doing vacuuming, doing the laundry, taking the kids to school. She was doing everything. And um, uh, the daughter was surprised because she said she's outworking me. And she did everything. She said she had energy. I mean, we did a couple of different things for her. But the point is, she lived 49 months, and she didn't lose any ability or any function till maybe the last... 45 days or so. Then she started having shortness of breath. She had some swallowing problems, and, and then she passed on. But the point is, that is what the power of belief is. They had given her four to six months. She six months, and she lived for them. Yeah, the power, the power of belief and supporting those beliefs, even if they are contraindicated by allopathic, dunderheaded doctors who can't see life in the way it really is. By the way, uh, our, our, my dear departed friend, Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez, they're publishing 50, a volume one of his pancreatic and breast cancer patient cases. 
uh, called Conquering Cancer. And we talk about like this guy that retired to say, you know, it's like two percent in two years of pancreatic recovery, and he's got patients that are alive twenty five, you know, plus thirty years later. Now, uh, as he said when he was alive, go ahead and match my cases to those people, those so-called experts. And we're going to show them that there's a lot better way to go when it comes to conquering cancer, reversing cancer, outliving the very doctors who say you have a death sentence. Helping us to do that, as always, Advanced Medicine right here with Dr. Rashid Bittar on the Robert Scott Bell Show, robertscottbell.com, and, of course, medicalrewind.com if you ever miss a show when Dr. Bittar and I get together and have a great time bringing the power to heal. Back to you where it belongs. More with Dr. Bittar and his verbascom voice after this. The revolution will be broadcast. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Making sense out of medical propaganda. Here's Robert. And doing that with Dr. Rashid Bittar, Advanced Medicine, each and every week here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Dr. Bittar, D-R-B-U-T-T-A-R.com. Also, you can check it out there. And the international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. Now, I'm, I'm always reminded of our, our time doing the Advanced Medicine seminars together with you and a lot of other cool docs that you brought to the occasion. And one of the most powerful things that you would relate each time you know when you'd ask people what's the most important thing the most important thing and people say god and love and, other, and and it would come to the point where somebody might get it or you would have to volunteer it but belief and it belief came back to belief and people hard to believe that it's belief right except you explained it so eloquently and that story you just shared also profound in 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 acknowledging and recognizing that number one thing being belief and this woman that lived you know, she says, I heard him say 46 months, 46 months was four to six months. And you just reinforced that and said, hey, just live your life, take some stuff. And she lives 49 months. How powerful is belief? And that relates to that prognosis issue where your doctor tells you you have X number of whatever's to live. And you say, no, 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 I do not. I have this. You want to reject those things that are kind of don't resonate with you and, you know, don't uplift you. Those that, that bring fear to you. That's, that's exactly it, Robert. I mean, you hit that nail square on the head. It's all about fear. And if you allow the fear to take over, then whatever they have put into your mind, you're going to believe it, and it will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. The thing that we have to remember is that, you know, the message um, at the end of every show, the party heal is yours, it's so appropriate, it's so powerful, it is so true, and people just have to get that. I mean, really... The entire um, effort of what you and I and Super Don and all the other people that are involved with getting the truth out there, it really comes down to that one phrase, the power to heal is yours. And, you know, you, you remembered the, the component about the, the belief when I, you know, I kind of play with that a little bit when I go through this uh, with the seminar. I'm glad mm-hmm. you brought that up because it is the most important thing, and people forget they say God, or they say love, or family, and all these things are very, very high in priority. Um, but very simply, I can prove to anyone, and I did this actually in front of a, I, I spoke at a, a health minister's conference a couple of years back, and there was probably about 400 health ministers from all over the United States and Canada, and they had some that are even from um, um, other countries, but the vast majority from, from the U.S. and Canada. And you can imagine when I said, you know, what's the most important thing? 
a lot of them um, said said God or Christ. Um, and I said, you know, that's a good answer. It's an appropriate answer. Unfortunately, it's wrong. <laughs> you know, then you can imagine what the fallout from that was. Or, you know, you know, love and who invited and this guy? <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's exactly. In fact, Josh was out in the back um, with some of my other staff, you know, on our booth, and they heard the roar. And Josh was like, "Oh man, I know, I know. He just, he just did one of his things again. He created that." Uh, <laughs> there he goes, Doctor Vitar again. You know, yeah. the avalanche. But you know what's funny is I and probably ended up having four or five of those health ministers that became patients, and I had such um, an amazing response from them at the end because I, I basically proved it, and I said I can prove it to anybody, and I'll prove it to you right now, and. And basically what I said is, how can you say that Christ or God um, is the most important if you have lived in the uh, outback as an aborigine and you've never even heard of the concept of God or, or you know, religion or anything? How can you say that that's the most important thing? You have to first believe in God or believe uh, in Christ or believe in, in um, a prophet before you can say that's the most important. Um, you know, what about love? How can you say love is the most important if you're in love? If you've been slave or you've been beat as a child, you've never experienced anybody that's put a soft hand and word to you, then how can you say love is important because the person has never experienced love? You have to first believe that love is the most important thing before love can be the most important thing. Or family. How can you say family is the most important unless you actually had a family and you believe the family is the most important? So belief is, by definition, always the most important thing. And as soon as people understand that, and we as providers can harness that amazing power by helping their belief, by mm-hmm. changing their belief, by indoctrinating their belief. You know, people say, well, that's just placebo. Well, what's wrong with that? Placebo is one of the most powerful things. If we can harness the placebo, we should it's our ethical and fiduciary responsibility mm-hmm. to get that placebo effect into, into uh Right. Life. And one of the most profound uh, folks out there that, you know, related this concept as well, a good friend Bruce Lipton, talked about the biology of belief, how literally it changes your genes and gene expression when you alter your belief. Bringing that power to heal back where it belongs. We've got a really powerful question of the day we'll get to next related to something called hepatitis C. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. The information is so good. It requires no expiration date. The Robert Scott Bell Show. We'll get to the question of the day in a moment. Uh, mad science. Mad scientists. Can they be called scientists when they're targeting pregnant women for vaccinations that are designed specifically for pregnant women? Why? Because they want the women who are pregnant to pass on antibodies to the developing baby, the unborn baby, the infants to be. I'm like, wait, isn't that what nature has been doing from time immemorial via maternal antibodies and breast milk and colostrum and the normal interaction of a healthy pregnancy to term? And now they want to do it via injection. Mad science, is that the right way to determine this or call it? Yeah, well, it's, you know, there's an old saying, it's not smart to mess with Mother Nature. And that's exactly what they're trying to do is mess with Mother Nature. Now, to give a vaccine... You know, this is, it it keeps on coming up, Robert. And I guess the thing that we have to make sure that hopefully people are registering is that nobody's against vaccination. 
It's against the indiscriminate use of so many vaccinations with so many poisons that are added to the vaccinations under the pretense of trying to stimulate the immune system when, in fact, it's impossible to stimulate an immune system that hasn't even developed yet enough to work, leave alone the fact that you're then putting immunosuppressive agents inside the vaccine that will prevent any type of immune response to develop in the first place. Mm-hmm. So the people that are pushing the vaccination agenda, which, hey, if you do the right type of vaccination, I think I'm all for it, but do it at the right time and do it with the right ingredients. And so when people say, well, you know, it, it's not that big of a deal. Okay, let's, let's look at this. What's not that big of a deal? Um, if you say that um, I'm just going to um, drink this juice, and it doesn't really matter what's in the juice. Well, you put cyanide in that juice, or you put some other type of poison in that juice, you're going to kill the person. So the ingredients do make a huge difference. And then if you're saying that, um, well, water will put out a fire, and any kind of liquid will put out a fire. Let me just use this gasoline. It's just going to put out the fire. But the gasoline will feed the fire. And so when you're taking something like uh, an adjuvant or some of these other preservatives in the vaccines, you're going to get the complete opposite response than what is desired when you use water to put out a fire you want the fire to go out if you say oh any liquid will work and you use gasoline you're going to promote the fire same thing with some of these preservatives and ingredients and adjuvants in the vaccines you know you you, the whole idea is to stimulate the immune system but you put some of these things inside the vaccine you're going to do the entire opposite completely 180 degrees diametrically opposed response which is Mm -hmm. suppress the immune system and so when when we start looking at the It'll, the, the, the absurdity and the, the stupidity, I don't even know whether, whether I can find a more mm-hmm. uh, appropriate and stronger word, but literally the people that are saying that vaccination should be given and the pro-vaccine movement, they have basically lost all credibility and have lost all integrity because if they truly believe what they are saying that they believe, then they should be even ahead of us promoting um, the 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 um, cessation of usage of the vaccination program the way it is right now, and then making a responsible, intelligent method of trying to stimulate the immune system. Yeah, exactly. Ingredients matter, right? What what scientists wouldn't acknowledge that if they're really a scientist? Like, well, let's say we have ingredient A and B and C together, and then we try another one with an, uh, C, D, and E. It's like, do you think that it's going to be the same the same thing? And if you know that ingredient A is toxic... Do you think it's going to be not toxic when you add it to B, C, and D? Have you have you analyzed that? And again, these things are so basic, we could talk to school kids about it, and they'd get it. So why are these yeah. dunderheads so uh, devoid of uh, higher functions of cognition? Have they been vaccinated into stupidity? Well, I think it's, it's uh, they've got an agenda, and, mm. and you know their agenda. Nobody can be that stupid. I mean, like you said, even even you know kids. Um, I mean, well. It's actually not. It's actually not appropriate to say even kids would get it because kids actually get this way, way faster. You know, kids kids are a lot more cognitively evolved than we give them credit for. In fact, I think the pureness of an individual starts to dissipate as they start becoming adolescents. But as a child, mm-hmm. they have a pure uh, sense of of how things should work, and and they're well connected. I mean, kids can yeah. do things and see things um, that many of us can't. Like, you know, what. After after a hundred, I remember with my daughter, I I told her to count. She was driving me crazy. We were driving the car, so she she, she didn't know how to count past ten. So I said, "Well, what you do is when you get to you know it's twenty and then thirty, three thirty, four forty, five fifty, six sixty. So she got it. She gets all the way up to ninety nine, 
And then she didn't know. She goes, then, is that 100, Dad? And I said, yes. And, and I said, keep on counting. She goes, well, I don't know what to say after 100. So I said, well, it's 101. And then 102, start over. She goes, oh. So she gets up to 109. And I'm kind of going off and, you know, drifting. I'm driving a car. I'm thinking, I'm busy. <laughs> and she hesitates now at 110. And she's thinking, thinking. She goes, 11 And if you think about it, it should be 11 It shouldn't be a, it shouldn't be 110. It should be 11 because at, you know, at, at 109, when you get to 110, it's 110. That's right. 11 So the kids' kids' brains work so much better than our brains work as we get older because then we get all these other thought processes introduced and, and mm. fear comes in. We learn fear. We learn um, other emotions that as a child is pure and, and our brains are basically, you know, open wide and nothing's restricting them. So I think we should stop saying even a kid would get it. We should say, <laughs> we should say even a medical board a uh, sitting medical board physician would get it. That's what we should Yeah, you'd know. think, but they're, sometimes they're too afraid uh, to, to quote-unquote get it or do anything about it. Uh, you probably indicated this over the years, too, that doctors are some of the most fearful individuals oh, on the yeah. planet, filled with Without fear. Without a doubt, Robert. And, Without and, a doubt, Robert. You know, I mentioned this before you got on the air with me tonight, the uh, concept of what if they threw a war and no one showed up? And then I said, you know, what if they tried to vaccinate everybody and no doctor showed up because they, they were on to them? They said, you know what? This is not good medicine. This is the antithesis of good medicine. And they they could stop it right now. Of course, then they try to go to the nurses and they go to the pharmacists. I mean, they'll, they'll try another thing. But the doctors could stop it. But what stops them from stopping it? Fear. The fear. The fear of being ridiculed. The fear of losing their jobs. The fear of what am I going to do? How am I going to earn a living? How am I going to pay my Mercedes payments? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And if anybody's got the credibility to speak out against that fear of the medical doctors, it's you because you stood fast when they went after you, the board. You fought it back. You said, you know, uh, for lack of a better way to say it, God is on my side, right? It wasn't a holy war per se. Maybe you could define it in some way, but you're doing right. And I'm not going to back down based on that. But how many people do what is right because they know it's right versus what is expedient because they're afraid of the repercussions of doing the right thing? Well, you know, Robert, I think the world would be a much better place if everybody did the right thing, mm. um, which is uh, devoid of fear. I mean, you know, you look at what you do every day, you easily, you know, with your great voice, uh, you know, immediate voice, you know, been a, 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 you know, on the Howard Show or something, I don't know what, what kind of show, maybe you've got a very professional radio voice, and but you did, you know, you, you did what you knew way to go. You didn't know any other way to do it. And that's the same thing with me. I, I don't know any mm-hmm. other way. I yeah. think that, the, that it comes down to, you know, we got, Dr. Batar, we got you clipping on the line here. We're losing some of your, I don't want anybody to lose any of the words that you, you're bringing out because they're awesome. Especially because you're speaking nicely about me. I want to hear all of it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let, let's well, hey, let's go to the question of the day. This one comes from, um, uh, let's see, who's writing this? It's a pretty long one, Susie. And she's talking about her 68-year-old husband who had a, a hep C test at his annual a doctor's exam. He never had it before, and uh, he said the medical and industrial complex is looking to nail every baby boomer on hep C because guess what? They have this new drug called, I think it's called Harvoni. It's like $1,000 a month for, I don't know, X number of months. And then they say, oh, you're cured. I mean, I think this is garbage because... 
as I've argued, the hepatitis C test, much like the HIV test, is nonspecific cross-reactive. It used to be non-A, non-B hepatitis. If it says anything, there's a problem with your liver, I might agree. In fact, I probably would agree. But they target a virus that they haven't even officially isolated, according to the peer-reviewed literature. There's dispute about that. And so... He's he's up he's hip to this because he's learned about this on our show what we talk about and he's now taking supplements for his liver he's doing far infrared saunas he's uh, selenium alpha lipoic acid milk thistle uh, he's he's even started super don cover your ears coffee enemas <laughs> he's done four in the past ten days he's given up alcohol which he moderately consumed over the years his wife is very happy about that and. You know, he's going all and saying, you know, am I doing the right thing here? Because the doctors are coming at me with this thing, the Harvoni, the drug, the this, you've got hepatitis C. This is, you know, you know what I'm saying here? Again, fear, 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 but he's hearing through it or seeing through it and doing something different. Yeah, you know, if if you have a mechanic that tells you you got to do something or you got a, you know, air conditioning repairman says you have to do this or that. You know, you can tell them, look, I don't want to do that. That's not what I want to do. I don't know why people have such a hard time telling the doctor, no, I don't want to do that. People get really afraid, oh, I don't want to upset my doctor. You don't want to upset your doctor? So <laughs> if you're going to cut off the wrong leg, it's okay for him to cut off the wrong leg, and you're not going to say anything about it because you don't want to upset your doctor? I mean, you know, it, it, people have to start to stand up for what feels right to them. You have to allow mm-hmm. the residents to guide you, that intuition, that gut feeling. That's the universe talking to you. That's God talking to you. Right. So you have to listen to that. And, you know, it comes back to when you were talking about the fear aspect. <clears throat> one of my favorite quotes, I don't know who said it, it's anonymous, but one of my favorite quotes is, do right and fear no man. Mm-hmm. And I think that if uh, a person like this gentleman who's got this uh, hepatitis C diagnosis understands that, hey, we're all going to die. Am I going to decide to die on my own terms? Or am I going to have the uh, repercussions of following the guidance of somebody else mm-hmm. who, yes, may have more education than me, but it feels wrong to me, and then I'm going to have to be the one who carries the burden and suffers the consequence of the other person's lack of um, information or whatever yeah. the case was. Because if the doctor's wrong, the doctor can be right or the doctor can be wrong. You can be right and you can be wrong. The bottom line is, if it's your life, I'd rather take the chance of myself because mm-hmm. nobody's going to be more vested in my own life than me. Yes. And then the doctor provides guidance, and the doctor's role is there to teach. But if somebody's sitting there telling you, you got to take this drug, you got to take this drug, Heck I don't no. understand what the... What the Dr. Batar, you got to listen to this paragraph. You're going to like this from his wife. Bottom line is now his doctor wants him to come in and discuss quote-unquote treatment options for hep C. His plan is to repeat the testing at the end of the month at an independent lab, which he will pay for himself after he's doing all of these other things. And then they'll go from there. It sounds like he wants to live on his own terms. And his wife says this, he will not be intimidated by anyone with a medical degree. Just like that. Good. They're paying attention, Doc. Dr. Batar and I will wrap up Advanced Medicine today with you. I hope you tell your friends, and if, if, if you're just tuning in, you miss some awesome stuff, go to MedicalRewind.com. It'll be up later, as well as right here on our syndicator, GCNlive.com as well, and RobertScottBell.com. Dr. Batar, you're only here with me once a week. It's not enough, but we do whatever we can, and you have ways that people can learn more about you. I always encourage people to get your books, and there's lots of videos and things, but let everybody know where they can learn more. Well, there, there are a number of different sites that are uh, available to people for resources, but we've got them all 
uh, in one location so people can pick and choose whatever information they need, and that would be at medicalrewind.com. We got to do a lot more healing every day. There's not enough time, even though we're doing it every day. And Dr. Batar, I'm grateful that you're with me every week. Robert, I'm grateful to be on the radio with you every week. Just here to remind you that the power to heal is yours. The Robert Scott Bell Show.